What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Haley Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone. I'm joined by Zach Wallstein, Chris Nee. Gentlemen, let's get right into it. Uh, active weekend for the Seminoles, both on the football field and the recruiting trail. You get a top 25 win, a convincing win over Duke, and then you get a big-time flip on the recruiting trail. That's where we're going to start off this episode. But first off, uh, a shout-out to Chattanooga Whiskey, one of our sponsors. They're crushing it in the craft distillery game. Legitimately the best craft distiller out there, my favorite personal brand of choice when I feel like having something unique, uh, something that doesn't taste like all the other bourbons out there. Their 111 proof is exquisite. Their rye is awesome. Their experimental blends, also really, really good stuff. So uh, also be on the lookout for their Fall Bottle and Bond. It's in a blue label. You can find it pretty much anywhere uh, in the southeast here. You go online also at Sealbacks. And uh, if you're in the Chattanooga area, feel free to stop by their experimental distillery. Uh, and uh, in their store as well. So let's get into it. Zachary, Armando Blunt is a Florida State Seminole. As we record this on Monday morning, FSU got the flip. I want to get into the backstory from you, the Zach story, if you will. But but first, real real quick, Chris, who is Armando Blunt? Really talented defensive lineman who was a member of the 25 class. It's now a member of the 24 class from Miami, Florida, Miami Central High School. He was ranked as a five-star in the 25 class. We're still waiting for his re-rank as a member of the 24 class. That should come down today, probably, in fact, by the time this podcast hits the airwaves. Uh, very talented, versatile defensive lineman, could play inside, could play outside. We are going to discuss him mostly as an edge. That's what he views himself as. That's what FSU views him as. And that's what he probably is at this point in his development. And that development will continue. He's a kid that I think has some really good versatility along the defensive line and play multiple spots. Very highly ranked in that 25 class. We'll see where, you know, as I mentioned earlier, where it ends up in the 24 class. But yeah, huge get for FSU, but I'll hand it back off to Zach so he can kind of tell the story of this, how this came about over the last, I don't know, four to six weeks since his commitment to Miami earlier this season. The Zach story, Chris, is what we're calling it. Yeah, so I mean, this kind of started, I mean, if you think back, Armando Blunt, we talked on this podcast about how important of a recruit he was, you know, in the 2025 class. Obviously, his move to the 2024 class makes him even more important, especially considering Florida State's struggles of recruiting defensive linemen in this year's class. So that move, you know, made him a higher priority for FSU as well as the school he was committed to, Miami. Um, let's start back at the beginning of the season, kind of when he made his initial decision to commit to Miami. Um, he was in attendance for FSU's opening game against LSU in Orlando. Got to witness that. Had great things to say afterwards. The following weekend, he went to um, Miami Stadium to watch them take down Texas A&M, ranked at the time. Obviously, we know 
and ms not a great team, but uh, but that that was a big win for Mario Cristobal in Miami at the time. Um, and you know, it was a big deal. They had a bunch of recruits in attendance, including Armando Blunt. After that win, Blunt um, behind the scenes was trending heavily to Miami. FSU got wind of this. They tried to make an attempt to, you know, halt that momentum in Miami's favor for Blunt um, because, you know, we were all kind of hearing that an imminent decision was likely and their efforts were to no avail. He committed to Miami that following week, September 14th is the date. And um, it was just a, a, a bad, bad loss on the recruiting trail for Florida State, especially considering they really didn't even get to counterpunch Miami at the time after they they had all the all that momentum following that that visit weekend. Well, then you know, the games got played further into the season. Miami has that atrocious loss to Georgia Tech. Um, you know, largely accredited to their their head coach and his poor decision making uh, at the you know final portion of that game when they had it won. Uh, Armando Blunt. I think afterwards there was a lot more dialogue being had between him, his camp, and and FSU, um, and and that's really kind of where the FSU buzz started to build. That following Friday, so if the game was on Saturday, the Friday of that following week is kind of when I started to hear like legitimate buzz about FSU making a move for Armando Blunt, um, and then that the Monday afterwards is kind of you know like hearing this is happening like he's going to flip to fsu um that that weekend um just to put you know the timeline together would be when fsu played syracuse and when miami played north carolina obviously fsu wins that game miami loses i'm sure that that didn't hurt fsu's chances at the time so you know we're hearing all that stuff's happening i don't report on this situation at all brendan asked me earlier in the week on the podcast do you want to talk about this i said no um, that was purposeful. Did not want to air FSU's, um, you know, moves behind the scenes publicly at that time. Um, Armando Blunt was, you know, then we confirmed and broke that he was going to visit FSU this past weekend for the Duke game. Um, you know, that's all we kind of said at the time. I think that was on Thursday. You know, I, going heading into the weekend, I had a, you know, on Friday, I, I spoke to Blunt and kind of got his thoughts on both um, the the flip, which was scheduled to happen on Sunday, um, and then the reclassification news, which was originally scheduled to be dropped at the exact same time as his flip. Well, he visits FSU on Saturday for the game, gets in kind of around noonish, and then spends the day in Tallahassee before um, taking the stands in Doe Campbell Stadium to watch FSU take down ranked Duke. After the game, everything's going according to plan. Um, still planning to announce his decision to flip to FSU on Sunday. Well, then I wake up on Sunday morning and I'm heading, um, I was in Tallahassee heading down to South Florida and basically was hearing that the reclassification news was still going to come out. Like the, you know, the blunt camp was, was still indicating that that was the news that was going to be announced on Sunday. Um, but the flip news was going to be delayed. Um, originally was told a week is kind of what the plan was um, to wait a week before he flipped. Obviously, you know, digging into it more, um, 
there's got to be something that happened, right? Because Force 8, you know, as far as just the visit weekend goes, nothing could have gone better. They won the game. They had a dominant showing, especially in that the later portion of that game. And and I think, uh, you know, it, it was pretty easy to see something else was going on here. And when digging on it further, um, I mean, obviously it was it was the Miami coaching staff trying to get their commitment to not flip um, to another school over the course of the weekend while they were on that campus, on the opposing campus. Um, there were some narratives pushed out um, per usual with that staff and Florida State had to play defense. Um, it was not looking good. Like, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, there was a good couple hours where, you know, I thought for sure that Armando Blunt was was going to leave campus without flipping, which would have been a very negative development just because of, you know, how the week had unfolded before that. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, Florida State has all the momentum on, uh, you know, on the field right now. Miami also had a big win over the weekend against Clemson, which I'm sure didn't hurt their chances of trying to uh, get in blunts here and, and make him rethink things. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Florida State, the biggest thing was that was that Blunt was still in town in Tallahassee. He was in the uh, facility with FSU co- FSU's coaches until later that evening on Sunday, um, and and they re- you know the coaching staff really got a chance to sit down with Blunt and his and his mom and kind of break down everything that was being said, um, provide clarity, um, answer questions on any concerns that that camp had um, with FSU. And they did a, an excellent job. And obviously, we all know by now, he leaves the Moore Athletic Center, committed to Florida State. Um, we dropped that article with an exclusive interview. And then he spoke with Chris Nee afterwards, you know, talking about um, his reclassification and, and how he plans to enroll at FSU in January. I was talking you know, to some people behind the scenes about um, how, like, crazy that would be for him to enroll in January just because you know it's basically he's reclassing like up a year and a half uh, essentially because he's a 25 recruit and not only is he moving to 24 but he's enrolling early basically like I mean Blunt um, he has it in his Twitter bio he has over a 4.0 GPA very smart kid um, doing you know has already got a lot of the credits out of the way and and now he's working on um, getting a ton of uh, extra college credits to be able to fast track and enroll um, in Tallahassee early. He was accompanied on a visit by his mother. He also checked out their practice on Sunday evening. FSU has kind of a cleanup, also younger player practice on Sunday evening. I think he committed at that practice. Yeah, he dropped the edit officially, making it known that he was doing it uh, as he walked out of that practice and him and his mom were making their way to a car to head to the airport because they had a flight about an hour and a half from that point. The significance of this, and there's a ton to unpack uh, with the backstory, and, and Zach laid it out pretty well, and it's more in-depth, and you can ask us more questions about it over at Knowles247.com. Um, but the significance of getting this one, guys, especially that you lost out on LJ McCray heading into the weekend, the defensive end board doesn't have a ton of options. Like, what does this mean for Florida State to go ahead and get this caliber of recruit with this type of upside from Miami? Uh, let's lay that out, like what that means for FSU. Well, you dinged your opponent first and foremost. You took a really good one off their list and put it on your list. So that's a good place to start. 
Secondly, yeah, FSU needs to add talented defensive linemen from the high school ranks, guys who are versatile, big bodies. They want versatility and big bodies on that front line. And, you know, Armando Blunt is a dude who definitely fits into that category. Very talented guy. The film kind of speaks for itself. He's very capable at what he does. Big body, athletic body, physical, mean kid, does a good job getting downhill, finishing plays, does a lot of things really effectively. You add in the fact that they did miss on LJ McCray on Saturday afternoon when he chose Florida over FSU and others. And it's very significant for FSU because they have to accumulate dudes from the high school ranks at those positions. And they need guys that can contribute at a high level. And I think Blunt's viewed as a guy who all high school, all big body guys out of high school offensive and defense line tend to take some time. But Blunt feels like one who's probably a little bit more ahead of the curve than some others. And the fact that you are getting them early is only going to be an added bonus. Yeah, I mean, it's just absolutely massive. Um, Brennan talks about it, like the lack of legitimate options for Florida State, especially at edge in this year's class. Like, it it just was not looking good, um, especially after missing out on LJ McCray. Like, landing him, him reclassifying, Armando Blunt I'm talking about, it's just – a huge development. Um, it, it helps them out a ton. They have some legitimate targets uh, on the interior of the defensive line that they're going to continue to push for um, because Armando Blunt is on their edge board, like you guys were talking about. And yeah, I mean, it really just secures things up. I fully expect FSU to go transfer portal hunting for a defensive lineman like usual. I mean, they've had a ton of success doing that in Norvell's career and and I think they can continue that success, especially considering that they have the proof of concept of bringing guys in and making them um, strong contributors. So, yeah, I mean, I would expect them to add probably one more defensive lineman, maybe two um, in the high school ranks. There really isn't like a set number that they want to take besides obviously not overloading. Um, but, yeah, I mean, everything's fluid now with guys being able to transfer and, and, you know, I'm sure FSU is going to have some attrition after the season. So numbers are always going to shake up and, you know, the amount of guys FSU can take will, will change. But yeah, I mean, they have a couple legitimate options along the interior and, and, you know, maybe they try to add one more edge, but it's not a necessity now considering they, they now have Armando Blunt and DD Holmes. Yeah. And from an interior standpoint, they had Dinoz White on campus again for an unofficial this past weekend. Young man from Concord, North Carolina, that they like a lot. Debo is what he goes by. He's somebody that they've seemed to value. They like. We know Odell Hagens likes him personally. Artavius um, Jones from Bluntstown, who I keep wanting to call Artavius Blunt from Blunt. Bluntstown. Same here. Um, he made it back for the second consecutive weekend. He is a Miami commitment, but he's a kid that FSU's put in constant work with. Another name worth knowing on the interiors is Nazir Johnson, Florida commitment. He originally was due in this past weekend, but was unable to make it, as we shared, I believe, on Friday. Uh, at the edge, it's a young man up in, where is he, Maryland or Virginia or D.C.? He's in that, that area. You're not getting me to say his name. You're talking about Lugard? Yeah, yeah, he's due in in December for an official visit. He's probably the most prominent name to know. Another one worth keeping an eye on is Jordan Boyd, Georgia Tech commitment. He's been here a few times since July. Yeah, and there's a few other guys that they communicate with and that they might plan to host OVs for, but we'll see how the Armando Blunt news kind of shakes things up on their board. Real quick, Byer Sanone for you, Zach, sponsored by the Turner Turner Group. Single game performances matter for recruiting. 100% 100% by um, 
yeah, I mean, it's hard to, it, it definitely differs recruit to recruit, right? Like I think some take more stock into it than others do um, or put more stock into it than others do. But yeah, I mean, I, I fully believe that single game results affected Armando Blunt's decision. I think they affected OJ McCray's decision. It just makes sense, right? Like if you're watching a product that you're trying to invest in, basically, you know, join, like you know, invest your, your next four years of your college career. in, like, you want to make sure that product looks good and, and has promise. Um, and I think, you know, Miami, I'm not trying to say that Miami doesn't look good, but like in the sense of like, you know, can I, can I go play for this program and, and trust that the coaching staff is going to put me in the best ability? Like Florida state, I think throughout Mike Norvell's career has shown that they do that um, with, with their players and, and they develop guys, not only, um, through the transfer portal, but also in the high school ranks. I know that's a novel concept, but uh, but it does happen. Um, they do develop high school players, and yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think single games definitely matter. I think they mattered in the LJ McCray recruitment. We were talking about this, Brendan. Like, if UF loses to South Carolina, do they land LJ McCray? It's a fair question. Like, yeah. I don't, you know, it's hard to predict, right? Like, it's hard to be like, hey, if they lose this game, they're going to lose this recruit. Right. Because we've seen in the past, like I can think back at a recruitment that I thought games were going to matter more um, with. And that was like Wesley Bassaint, the linebacker out of Miami Central a few years ago. He witnessed FSU beat Miami on the fourth and fifth, the fourth and 14 uh, in Doe Campbell Stadium, and then committed to Miami um, anyway. And obviously there's other factors there. But like, yeah, I mean, it's. It's interesting. It's a case by case basis, but I think in totality, like it does matter. That's why FSU wants to load up their stands for primetime games because they know that's going to have an impact on those recruits um, and their recruitments. I don't want to skim over the LJ McRae recruitment. We just have a finite amount of time here on a busy Monday. Uh, FSU felt like it was in a good position early in the week. I mean, that, yeah. that was a real thing. I think Florida was. A few things, and correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, but I, I think a few things played out. One, they were very aggressive with uh, their communication with his camp towards the end and were able to yeah. kind of keep jockeying for a position. And, and then two, I think just having more connecting points and, and longer term, not longer term relationships, just more widespread relationships with the McRae family uh, ultimately helped out and they kind of knew what buttons to push. Yeah, sorry, I was uh, answering a phone call or not answering it. But uh, but yeah, um, I totally agree. Like, I think Florida State had the momentum early in the week. And it just kind of trended the other direction. And you like like you said, there were a multitude of reasons why. Um, but I think you know, the biggest the biggest reason is Florida State, like they 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 orchestrated a late run in that recruitment. All right. Like that was their game plan. It's fair to say they, they scheduled their official visit um, for right before or a few weeks before his announcement. It was a good play by them. Um, I did not like I don't think any of us really gave FSU a shot heading into the season with LJ McCray. I think after especially like I remember Chris saying, like, especially after he didn't visit at all over the summer, like not once, like it's a pretty big deal. Um, but I do think that kind of played a factor into the last week of that recruitment. Right. Like, I think FSU had good enough relationships to land him, 
but Florida just, I think throughout was the school that did the best job at recruiting out Democrat. Like I think Florida genuinely like out recruited FSU in totality, right. For in this recruitment, you can't have a five-star defensive lineman in your state, not visit you throughout the entirety of the summer. I don't care if it's a like three hour visit on a random Wednesday in June, get him on campus. Like, I think that's the difference. And I think UF never lapsed in communication with him. Um, and I think that kind of paid off for them in that final week. And, you know, I, FSU gave like, was, was the other school. Like they were like, I, I genuinely believe that, that like in the final days leading up to LJ McRae's like um, private decision that he made with his family, I think it was FSU and UF. I think FSU like, coming into the week, like that weekend. And then on Monday, like I, I generally thought it was going to be Florida state. Things happen on Tuesday um, to alter the, that recruitment. And that's kind of where the UF buzz started to grow. I threw in the first crystal ball, got a lot of flack for it. Um, all right. It's not all about you Mo- moving along here. No, I'm just saying I got a lot of flack for it, but uh, from, from both UF fans and FSU fans, because UF, I guess thought I was trying to jinx them, but I, that's generally where I thought it was trending. And, that's obviously ended up um, coming true. So I'm sorry to FSU fans, and I'm not sorry to UF fans. Congratulations. I, I think it's worth also just being clairvoyant. The kid grew up from what he's conveyed, essentially a Florida fan, and that makes sense well, with being grew, in the proximity at home. I don't. I thought I he said. Up, no, I think he grew up a Miami fan. He grew up in South Florida. But I thought he said during his ceremony something about since middle school I've seen myself playing like as a Gator or something like that. I thought he made that reference yeah. in committing. I, I think I don't know if there was like a clear like fandom thing there, um, but I know that. I mean, his dad was like working at Bethune, and mm-hmm. he was. I think he grew up in South Florida, so like he he was saying similar stuff about Miami leading up to to his decision. Oh, I had a thought on it, but I've kind of forgotten what it was. Good. Oh. Yeah, we can. I was gonna make an analogy, but it wasn't a particularly good one. We we can move along here. We got things to do. Uh, let's see. Oh, real quick before we move off of recruiting, FSU got a commitment from 2025 linebacker Ethan Pritchett uh, down in Pritchard. 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 That one's killing you, man. You, you got the Elijah Pritchett, Ethan Pritchard thing going on in your head. I'm changing it now on the script like it matters. <laughs> Four star linebacker from Sanford Seminole High down in Central Florida, powerhouse program. Uh, one that's known for producing pretty scrappy defenders. So good get there for FSU, even if you don't know how to pronounce his, his first or last name like I do. Uh, let's move on to FSU's big win over Duke. Uh, cool weekend when that's kind of a side note as we start off our podcast, right? But like, you know, FSU handles business in a top 25 matchup. This game breakdown is going to be sponsored by Football Coach College Dynasty. We're brought to you by uh, the preeminent college football management game for PC. You can be a coach, create game plans, call plays, recruit players, develop your team, and compete for national championships. It features everything you love about college football, including conference realignment, school boosters, official visits for recruits, transfer portal, even NIL. Football coach, College Dynasty is available now on Steam for $15. So FSU beats Duke in a top 25 matchup, 38-20. to Chris, it wasn't always pretty, especially in the first half. FSU trailed by 10 points twice. Uh, in in the first half, went into halftime down twenty to seventeen, uh, and then just kind of opened up a can of 
whoop ass, I guess, as the kids would say. Yeah, Chris isn't here, but I'll, I'll act as what? Chris. Oh, my um, God. I was looking at the script, and I couldn't see you. This is just awful. No, it's good. Um, what happened? Why did Chris go? Where'd you go? Unmute yourself. Explain yourself. Why'd you do Sorry. me like that? I, I have a gentleman here from Barano heating in the air doing the... Not a sponsor. Don't mention their name. Uh, been very happy with their servicing. Um, no, doing the six-month checkup, so I, I had to run in. A six month checkup from the gentleman who came to visit your house while your significant others out. I think I've seen this movie before. All right, moving on. Got things to do. Please explain how Florida State uh, pulled away from Duke in the second half, is what I was trying to get to. Well, they quit being self destructive. It's probably the most important thing. I mean, let's be honest, that game's not very competitive if FSU doesn't hand deliver seven points on a platter to Duke. Duke's offense generated not very many good drives. The last one that they had was when Riley Leonard got hurt. FSU gets a goal line stand, goes down, drives, game over pretty much. FSU does, you know, what they do for the remainder of that game and completely closes it out on the Blue Devils. Uh, I don't want to act like Duke wasn't good. I, I like Duke a lot. I like Mike Elko a lot. I think he's doing a hell of a job coaching that bunch. I think they're an ultra-competitive group that's very good in the trenches. It helps when your offensive line can hold on every single damn play. Thanks, ACC officials. But that was wild, by the way. Every atrocious. big run Duke had in the first half, all five of them, 100 yards just about, was there could have been a holding call and probably should have been on, on at least half of them. Yeah, but that group is physical. They're strong. They're mean. They play at the point of attack. So, like, I'm not trying to diminish what they did. And, hey, if they're letting get away with hold, go do it. And defensively, they do things. They change the picture on you a lot. They move people around. They make it difficult. I thought FSU did an outstanding job attacking the middle of the field, especially in the passing game. Jordan Travis using his legs, obviously, big storyline, narrative buster. It was good for FSU for him to do that. It made the offense, obviously, look a lot more efficient. Yeah, Lawrence Tofilly put the game away with the catch he had there late. Johnny Wilson went down again, which is disappointing. Yeah. Uh, but other guys stepped up. Jaheim Bell had a great day receiving. O-line had ups and downs. That last drive of the first half, they couldn't block three-man rushes if their life depended on it, which was kind of weird to watch in real time. I think we ended up seeing how being up they were, right? Like, bless Harrison. Yeah. Again after that, or played very limitedly at left yeah. tackle. Yeah, left tackle is just, it's a mess right now because, you know, bless is not close to 100%. Robert Scott's trying to work back to doing more reps, but he's not there. And I don't think Darius is feeling very Darius was fresh. quite a bit yeah. in play game. Him playing Darius did a good job playing through it, but there were times where his mobility just wasn't there. He, yeah. he didn't look like we know Darius is capable of sure. when he's playing optimal. Um, FSU found something working to the right side, to the boundary side there down the stretch in that game. It, it worked really, really well. They attacked it. Um, that, trying to think that, well, that stops. Okay. FSU attacked the boundary, and they did so over and over with Jordan Travis. As a runner, as a passer, they kept short side of the field to the right and kept attacking it. And let, let's stop there and kind of take in what we saw from FSU's starting quarterback. There were times this season where just – Passing didn't always look as sharp as you wanted it to. Uh, the run game wasn't always prevalent. And then when FSU had to have it, a 96-yard drive, followed by, I think, a 78-yard drive, with Jordan Travis being masterful on, on both those drives. I think he was 9 of 11 passing. Uh, he had about, like, 160 yards of total offense, maybe a little bit under that, and accounted for two touchdowns on those two drives. One was a go-ahead. The other one was to put the game out of reach. Marvel in it because he was Jordan Travis of, of what we know he can be. 
there's a significance to that, I think, Chris, that you, you saw that he has his fastball. Yeah, and I thought the most interesting thing, I think it actually came to a response to one of your questions, Jordan, in post game, was that he just said he was having fun. And that him and Mike had a conversation, Mike Norvell, last Sunday. And the conversation basically pertained to you need to have fun. And, you know, I think I thought Jordan's interview during the week last week was the best interview he's had this year with our collection of media. I thought him after the game on Saturday, obviously winning is fun, as he said, and that was noticeable. But I thought he felt looser than he has all year and more smiles than I've seen from him all year. And it's not like Jordan's had a bad year. It's just I think there's a degree of pressure that comes with, one, the desire to win every damn game you play, and two, Heisman odds, Heisman favorites, all that talk and everything that comes with it. I don't think Jordan feeds into that too much. But at the end of the day, I think that created some pressure upon the young man. And I think on Saturday, he just went and played a football game. Do we think that's do we think that's like a like a light bulb moment for him? I'm interested in both your thoughts on this. I, I think mean, that's we'll, kind of like as we'll we see if it before. carries over to wake. But yeah, I, I think I think Jordan Travis going and using his legs and having the effectiveness he did. Yes, yes, I think it certainly. Yeah, I, I think it could be a kind of a swing moment for how he plays the remainder of the season, and us seeing him just take another step. You know, they use the middle of the field. Some of that was that's what Duke will give you because how Duke plays and FSU went took it. You know, that was a big thing that people have talked about. He used his legs, obviously a big thing people have talked about. We know the ability to go vertical, especially when they have the big three of Jaheim Bell, Keon Coleman, and Johnny Wilson. So, yeah, I think it could be one of those moments where we see the offense make a bit of a switch with the man running it and how they go about doing things, and it will be in a positive manner. Yeah, I agree. Um I think the main thing, like he talked about just having fun, like he had that meeting with Norvell, like about, you know, whether he was having fun, like it's just a big deal. Um, and, and I think early on in the season, like there were moments um, that Jordan Travis was um, clearly having fun. Like I think, it, you know, certain points against LSU, against Clemson, but it felt like there was like some added pressure or something going on um, that was different from, what we saw of him just demeanor wise in mm-hmm. the latter portion of, of 2022. And I think this is the first game that I can generally say, like it felt different um, from, from Jordan and especially like in that fourth quarter, just the offense looks so different in that fourth quarter. It, it reminded me of, of the end of that, that LSU game. Like they just, they, they were bullies. Like there was no doubt. I think in anyone's mind that they were when they were up 31 that they were going to go score another touchdown. Like that drive looked so easy for them. Um and they I could think have, they could have kept scoring. Like if that game yeah. went on for another 20 minutes, like they would have kept scoring. Exactly. They were dominating um, at that point. They wore the they wore the other team out. And I a huge reason is I mean, everyone's talking about it, is Jordan Travis's legs. Um and you know, I think. Jordan Travis is a complete player when he utilizes one of his biggest strengths, which is his legs. And I understand the hesitancy to do that consistently because of how prone he has been to injuries in the past. But it's so integral to, to not only his game, but FSC's offense. I mean, we saw, you know, what it opened up, opened up. And yeah, I mean, it just it was a massive deal. Um, and, and seeing him kind of get comfortable and having fun again was um, an awesome byproduct of that. Some of the rushing stuff, I think I, I want to get ahead of it because I know like that's the talking point. And I've written about like him running 
it, it does open, it changes everything. And it, it changes the math in the run game. And even when he makes a wrong read or the numbers aren't working out in your favor, he can do something special. Yeah. There is this balancing act though, that you constantly face those. Like, well, do we want Jordan to run 10 times a game? Like extrapolate that over a course of the season when Jordan's tough. Like he, he runs physically at his size, but he is his size. And you have to, like FSU's coaching staff is legitimately has to make sure that they protect him from himself sometimes. And so like, there is this balancing act that you have of when to open that up. Part of what happened on Saturday is like, that was working for them. So they kept going to it, but like Duke also gave it to, to them too. Like defensive ends crashed a couple times. times. Uh, the big run he had on the drive to go up 31 to 10, where he pulls the ball, uh, it was a safety blitz and they had the defensive end crash as well. And it's like, they just gave you it. And so like, it was also there to take it. And I think that's the most, well, important. I think when yeah, it's there, well, I think you have a, to take it. Yeah. Well, a large reason why they were, you know, were biting the defensive ends or crashing down was because they really, FSU hadn't really shown that they were prone to do that earlier on in the season. And if you're, you know, trying to play the percentage game, like what's the percent chance that Jordan Travis is going to hand the ball off right now? based on all the film they've watched this year, probably pretty high. And I think you always have to respect Jordan's legs, but he really hadn't given any team a reason to do that prior to this game. And I think now, not only is this performance huge for, for their you know efforts to, to win the Duke game, but I think moving forward, it's just going to make defensive coordinators' jobs even more difficult. Um, because obviously, if you dig into the tape, you're going to see that Jordan Travis is a massive threat on the ground. And early on in the season, like we saw, like, especially near the goal line, like that's like their go-to play, right? Like is, is you know, get Jordan Travis, um, you know, using his legs and get those three yards and get a touchdown. But anywhere else in the field, like just wasn't something that they were calling much. And I think moving forward, it's something that defensive coordinators and defenses are going to have to respect. And it's probably going to open up things for Florida State offensively. And there, there's also an element of they use it against and when they have to have it. Like go yeah. back last year. The Florida, game, Florida game last year is a prime a perfect example. 15, 15 carries there also. So here's his, mo- his most utilized runs last year. Eight against LSU. Seven against Miami. Seven against Oklahoma. 14 against Clemson and 15 against Florida. Like those are your best opponents that you faced last year. It's yeah. Not a coincidence that we saw them break it out against Duke when they had to, like when the game was on the line. Yeah. I think there's a benefit with Jordan to design a run for him early in a game to just get the blood flowing in that direction and let him have one and make the defense see him have one. I, I think it's valuable. I think it's something that, and I, I know they ran the the short yardage situation with him in that game early, but I'm talking something that's, you know, quarterback draw thing, something of that sort. You know, early down situation, throw it in there, just make the defense take notice of it because he is a guy that they have to account for to have in the running game if they believe he might be a runner. To Zach's point, I think some teams had gone away from really worrying about Jordan Travis Hat as a runner, despite his high level ability in doing it because he just hadn't done it. He, he had opted not to do it. He stood in pocket and acted like a pocket passer. And I want him to be a pocket passer. That is what he is at the end of the day. But the threat with the legs is so great that it has to be present and accounted for. And I think it's important that FSU forces that upon the opponents. 
Okay, so another narrative that I would like to address, and I think it'll kind of fold into big picture on defense. Uh, first off, it's been about a month since Florida State has allowed a fourth quarter touchdown or score at all on defense. Um, they've been really, really good in the second half of games. Early in the last four games, they've allowed one score on defense in the second half, and that was against Clemson. So you also scored a touchdown in the second half on defense against Clemson. So you've actually scored as many points on defense as you've allowed in the second half of games. Not that you've necessarily gone against world beaters on offense in that span. I think that is an important <laughs> point to make, but it does show the ability to make adjustments, to play throughout the full course of a game and let it develop. Same thing we're talking about on offense, to throw a lot early, you're able to run the ball late in games, that they're trying to play towards a complete game script for Florida State. But really, I think a lot of people are going to talk about is a turning point in the game is when Riley Leonard gets hurt. And it was on the face mask from Braden Fisk. But it wasn't the face mask that did it. I think it was the pursuit of Jared Verse closing in, and the quarterback just got hit, and he had a bum ankle going into the game. I like the narrative that Duke fans, at least some, have tried to put out there that uh, FSU intentionally tried to hurt him. So, he know, wasn't you, nasty at all. The hit you, you you played a you played a quarterback who had a bum ankle, and he got got hit and fell under himself. Like it's just that's the cost of business, and and you made you made that gamble and. No, it didn't pay off. But like my point Leonard. is, like they, they were moving that ball, and FSU clamped down on multiple runs in the red zone. And like I know the bottom fell out for Duke when they had to put in their backup quarterback. Uh, we would see if Riley Leonard would have been able to make a throw inside the the red zone to score on the fourth down uh, from from four yards out. But like he wasn't particularly effective. Like his passing numbers weren't great on the day. Uh, really, the only he's offense. trying to throw off his right foot, which is killing him. So. Yeah, I, I just the turning point was FSU started to actually play against the run and be effective against the run. They got it run down their throat for the first half. They're lucky yeah, they didn't give up more points with how Duke was running the ball in the first half. I felt fortunate that they were down by three. Like they they should have probably been down with a pick six in there. You know, you yeah. obviously have the kickoff return by Deuce Span Which to kind of huge. neutralize that. But but yes, it was. Um, but like you should have probably been down by more just based on the opportunities you had given Duke and. Uh, multiple failed fourth down attempts. One directly leads to points. I'm not, I don't know, maybe ask Mike about that. Like, I'm usually pretty, like, you know, I understand the fourth down math, but like going forward on fourth and one from what was it, the your own 35 ish? Yeah. Uh, if you don't get it. Right. Yeah. I mean, when Mike was talking about in post game, he, he, he said like the defense gave up a touchdown on the day. Yeah. He's like, we gave 10 points away, obviously, to pick six. And in that case, he put that on the offense of giving up that field goal actually praise the defense for doing the job of slowing them down there and not allowing more points. Um, yeah. So th there were some things that like need to get cleaned up in, in big games. I thought some of the game management stuff, again, I'm not normally one to criticize this, but delay of game on coming out of a break, delay a game on special teams, offsides on special teams. Like those are self, those are the things that drive this coaching staff crazy. You had an illegal formation coming out of, out of a break to start a drive. And that's not the first time that's happened this season. Like those are things that have to get cleaned up uh, because in, against you know, Duke's a solid team, I think they're going to be ranked finished the year as like a top 25 team. That's about what they are. Like going against top 10 teams, uh, that'll hurt you. So a win though, I think we all feel good about because you're able to lean on them and play really well as the game goes on. You saw Jordan Travis's a game in the back half. Like there's a lot of really positive stuff to build on there. You now have a couple weeks of 
easier games. The road games, we have to see how this team does on the road because they've played two nail biters on the road so far, uh, not including the neutral site game earlier on in the year, but like at Wake, at Pitt, and then you have Miami back at home. So that's kind of where you're at now, like to, to close this season out and have a chance to legitimately play for stuff. So you have two quality teams left on the schedule and a few pretty easy games. Um, with that in mind, let's play Bayer Sinone real quick. It's sponsored by the Turner Group. The Turner Group. Don't Sinone on getting into the housing market because you're stressed out about what that's going to look like. Colin Turner, Amy Turner, Becky, everyone from the Turner Group can help you out uh, to make the process as easy as possible. Thorough, responsive, well-connected. It is a smaller agency, but one that is is guided by people who work extremely hard and are well-connected throughout the state of Florida. So the Turner Group can help you out and give you a, a boutique uh, quality with big-time results. Uh, feel free to reach out to me if you need help getting connected. Google the Turner Group. You'll find out all their contact information right away. Byers Sinone, noon kick for Wake, Chris. Let's start off there as we're talking about Wake Forest. Uh, Wake has a Thursday game the following week, so I expected it to be a nooner. From what I understand, Wake basically requested it to be a nooner. And let's be honest, Wake isn't very good this year. They're lucky they beat Pitt last week. Um, so, yeah, uh, as far as it for FSU's perspective, just don't be sleepy. Like, don't go into Snuggie Hill and fall asleep. It would be a, it'd be a, a nice little feather in the cap for Florida State to go in awake and, and win convincingly. Wake's been a, a thorn in your side recently on the football field, been kind of a thorn in the side and, of and in alignment. Yeah, in alignment, in conference realignment, and not alignment. But you're not aligned with with Wake, and so it'd be nice if you're able to kind of run it up a little bit on them. I think that'd be a little hat tip to administration. Exercise uh, those demons of a three game losing streak. By Orsonon, Jordan Travis is having fun. We saw it on Saturday. Bye wholeheartedly. He, I think, all of last week he just seemed to be in a better place. Bye. He seemed more like his old self. Jordan's a great kid. Uh, you know, I, I think we've all conveyed on this how much we like Jordan, think highly of him, and obviously he's a huge catalyst for why the program's turned around. But uh, there's a lot of weight that comes with his personal expectations for this football program, and I think that can weigh on you. No pun intended. And uh. Yeah, I think last week he realized, like, I got a lot of good dudes around me. Let me just go do what I'm good at, and we're going to be just fine. I don't think that was a pun. Hey, hey, body language meter. Where was it this week? Much better, in your view? Yes. Okay. Oh, Oh, you're asking. I I know you're a big body language guy, so I just, you know, you were real concerned with it coming out of Syracuse, right? Or was it VTech? It was one of those two. I just want to know where we're at this one. I'm not concerned about it anymore. So I guess I guess it's exercise some demons. Now, he looked good. He was smiling a little bit, pepping his step, uh, all that good stuff. Yeah, uh, we're, we're moving. We're trending. I guess a seven out of ten on on the bad language meter. It's moving in the right direction. Uh, by Orsonone for Zach, FSU gets at least one more 2024 commitment in the next month. It's October 23rd. So by Thanksgiving time. By yeah. <sighs> Do you want to talk about who? No. Okay. By or Sinone. It's a new like thing that Zach and I do. Is I ask him if he wants to talk about something. He says no. People go nuts on the message board, and then we we're able to talk about it later. It's we got it. We got it figured out. Run and pick and roll here, baby. By or Sinone. Uh, FSU is kind of a beat up football team right now. By uh, a slight by the left tackle situation is a concern. Johnny Wilson, especially if it is another concussion, which 
it might be, who knows, I'm not sure, we don't know, they don't share such things. Um, he did seem woozy. I also thought it got his leg rolled up on. We shall see. Uh, but a second concussion would be pretty concerning for a young man in season. Um, I think you, if, if Johnny, I'm kind of at the point where you might want to just for the next two weeks roll with what you have and and take the, you know, understand there's a bit of a, a risk with not playing Johnny Wilson these next two road games, but against lesser teams and kind of save him for Miami if, if he's available then. Like, I think that yeah. would be couple others we didn't see. Destin Hill, who we're pretty sure twisted an ankle late in the game two weeks ago. I think he'll uh, be back really soon. Had a boot on, yeah. I think he'll be fine. Dennis Briggs was not with the team on the field, to my knowledge. I did not see him on the sideline. I think he might uh, be out for a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, they're they're a little banged up. They're not beat up, but they are a little banged up. By Orson own Keziah Holmes. More Keziah Holmes. I'll buy it. He runs. He's kind of got that Treshawn Ward running for his life straight ahead thing going on. Like Treshawn had different vision and some of the stuff he did was better. But Keziah runs with a wholehearted aggressiveness, uh, kind of along the same lines as Rodney Hill, who I know Zach will campaign for. Yeah, I'm I'm in the boat of like get two of those guys more carries and just see what happens. Um, I think we can all say that, like, I think Trey Benson's game was was unimpressive against duke um just not efficient not effective and i think fsu like we've talked about this at length right like trey benson can get it going we've seen it this season but it hasn't been consistent and i don't know do you guys like would you guys think like ronnie hill on that kickoff return like i know it didn't go for a ton of yards but that was like I mean, he looked like the most explosive player on the entire. Yeah, the acceleration like, shot out of a cannon. He almost had a chance there. I know, Rodney, we all like Rodney a lot. Like, he's talented. Um, yeah. I just, and, it, like, there has to be, like, there were multiple runs for Trey Benson where it felt like, like, him just hesitating cost them, like, eight or nine yards on, like, a run. Like, like yeah. Total, I think the hesitation. No, like, like, per run, like, on some, like, specific runs and like, i don't know if i, I agree with I, that i think but, some of the hesitation though was o-line getting blown back you don't agree yeah. with that path. no i don't agree that he was cost you eight or nine yards per carry on, on some not every runs. single run i'm talking about specific runs you literally agreed with me after the game on this what do you know i did it i didn't right. agree with you after the game i thought that i thought that trey benson needs to there are times where he gets too hesitant and he gets mm-hmm. caught in the weeds and he can be better. I didn't say he was losing 10 yards of carry on those. I think it was like a matter of three or four. What? Trey's what? best value is ahead of steam working forward. Why? So That's such he, a minute, he, minute, like thing that you're like, I'm the main you're talking point, about a first down. The main That's not what I'm, point is that he's being hesitant and costing them yards on offense. Okay. When he chops his steps and stops against a team that rallies to the ball, like Duke, it, it spells poison. And he had multiple runs completely kiboshed because of that. So I, I don't worry about Trey. Trey's an, and so I tried to convey this on the message board after game. Trey's an important part of FSU's offense, and he's going to be. Extremely. He is their primary running back. But there are moments where uh, it might not be the worst thing to have a stable mentality because you have enough talent behind him to be comfortable with what you're rolling out there. But you got to get Trey going. Like Trey is important to get going consistently, but against Duke, Duke is so good at running multiple bodies at the ball. They do a phenomenal job of it, whether it's perimeter catch runs, 
or just bring in the house. They get bodies at the ball. They do a phenomenal job with it. One of the best teams that FSU will face this year easily at doing that. Miami's probably in that boat when they're inspired and playing hard. And Clemson at times plays that way. But Clemson's also had moments where they didn't play that way. Trey chopped a step, stops, and gets killed, what, three, maybe four runs where that happened. But they hurt. Like, they they are runs. And can we quit running them on stretch? Like, is that okay? Like, am I allowed to say that? Yeah, he's really good at running outside zone. Uh, But they weren't – there's more tosses and stuff. Like, the issue is when it's not there, he struggles to create. And against that defense, like, that wasn't entirely, like, at your disposal until the very end of the game. Um, You need to get Trey Benson – like, for this team to have a chance to win – meaningful games like at the end of the season and like make like noise in the playoffs I think you need Trey Benson to be a dude who's what he was last year which is a record setter for missed tackles and to give up on that he needs a certain amount of touches a game to get going too and so like that's the balancing act you're trying to figure out it's like are you better off with guys who maybe don't need to get going and you're losing some of that like high-end upside Maybe that's a conversation I think I'm willing to like listen to. Um, but I also think that, you know, if you're able to get him going, you became a, a much, much more dangerous offense. Cause I don't think anyone else has quite like his level of like ability to break tackles at the second level and to be dangerous. And he's running harder now. He just needs to run more efficiently. I think is the next step and not lose eight or nine yards per carry. Exactly. I'm just so glad you're ready to listen to the, uh, this argument. Um, no, I mean, I agree with you guys. Like, Trey Benson can get it going. It's just that this season so far hasn't been consistent at all, right? Like, and I I agree with you that he's important to this offense and their success, especially in bigger games coming up and possibly postseason if they get to that point. But I don't know, man. Like, Ronnie Hill looks explosive. He's a guy that runs hard. He, it feels like, you know, Per, I don't know the exact stat, like his yards per carry versus Benson's on the season, but it feels like Rodney Hill is a guy that deserves a few more touches a game. Kaziah Holmes looked great um, for the second game in a row. I think both of those guys, I mean, I'm not overly worried about it because FSU's already, you know, having that, that stable mentality like you were talking about, Chris, and they're using multiple guys. And, you know, we saw Rodney Hill get a touchdown. We saw Kaziah Holmes get a touchdown. It's not like they're not using him, um, but maybe a few more snaps, snaps the game. Um, Trey, while, sorry, thought you were. Oh, yeah, while I understand that that Trey's Trey Benson's uh, extremely important to this offense. Trey's a bit of the body blows definition. Brendan wrote about that, I believe it was last week. Alex Alkins talked about it last Monday. Uh, Trey's a bit of that. He, he's going to chip away, chip away, take some losses, chip away, chip away, and then he's going to bust one. The issue is the busting of big ones this year has been a little bit fewer and far between than probably anybody expected from Trey Benson. That's probably a fair statement. Uh, one other point on that, and I think we, we need to move on to our last one and get out of here, but like Trey does, this was kind of the, the same script last year. If we probably look at where his yards per carry were last season and the first half of the year and the second half, I imagine they're pretty similar to each other. So it doesn't yeah, mean well, that's necessarily. BC last year is where he turned the corner. Mm, he had the breakout with the kickoff return and, and ran the ball well there, but really, Chris, it wasn't until Clemson, which I think was week six or seven last year, and that's coincided that's with running game as a whole. Yeah, but yeah, everything kind of kind of shifted for you, and there's a lot of elements that went into that. Some of the defenses you were playing weren't great, but like you were you were beating up on people pretty good. So, point being, let's 
I'm not ready to give up on Trey Benson. And I don't think anyone here is, is saying that um, just about finding that, that perfectly balanced formula, which isn't always easy. Uh, last thing, guys, Byers Sinone, Keon Coleman's catch on third down. You know, the one I'm talking about. Great how ball. The how catch. The how, how catch. catch? Uh, that is now in his top three plays at Florida State. We buy that. Ooh. Number, number one I mean, has to be has to be one hander. One hander, but then we have the leapfrog in Southern Miss. Yeah, have, you got you got the oh, LSU ones that were pretty good. Clemson. What are we talking about? Oh yeah, the clip dude. He's got a lot. Of, <laughs> it's like the I don't know if it's top three, but it's like the it is. It, I compared it to Ermon Lane at Louisville. It's sort of one of those of like, how the hell did that ball get caught, or how the hell did that ball get there? Like, yeah, they they showed that angle of like Jordan Travis like throwing the ball, and it's like. Like he like you can't see Keon Coleman like when he's throwing the ball like at it's all. Like it's breaking like three, ball. Yeah, it's like three Duke defenders like just draped all over him. Was the all right? So was the throw more impressive than the catch? No, no. the catch, the catch because it was he hit it with a lot of work. We also have the Jaheim Bell butt catch in the game, right? Or was it? It was a Marcus no, and Douglas Bis- butt catch. biscuit butt catch, yeah. Yeah, biscuit sorry. around the back, right? We, yeah. we had the I'm sorry, Jaheim Bell tried to hurdle somebody and then put his crotch on their head. I forgot about oh, that. I'm sorry. T-bag. Uh, for, for people at home that play NCAA 14 like I do still, if you try to jump over anyone at any given point, you, you just can't successfully do it. It either is you get flipped over and fumble the ball or you get caught midair and thrown down. And it looks like a glitch. That's exactly what happened with Jaheim Bell. It was awesome. I digress. It was something. Uh, it happened right in front of Mike Norvell on the sideline. And the look of like, I don't think it was disgust on his face, but it was definitely like a, a puzzled look that they got to kind of see, at least from body language, was was funny. Um, all right. I think that's everything here. We somehow managed to do this in under an hour. That's like a record for us. For Zach Blostein, Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Sinone. This has been On the Bench. Thanks to all our sponsors. Thanks to everyone for listening. We appreciate you. We'll talk to you later this week. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.